the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. And now back to Lifeline with Craig Roberts. There are some churches that pride themselves in being specialists in certain ministry areas. Maybe it's a church that prides itself in having a phenomenal music program. Maybe another that has incredible youth or children's outreach. Still others that are phenomenal at doing local outreach, feeding the homeless, providing soup kitchens, things of this sort. Rare is the church that hits the spot on all of those points and then some. But I think that certainly describes my guest today and our focus church. Joining me is the senior pastor of Covenant Community Church of Vacaville, Pastor Nancy Duff. Pastor Duff, a delight to have you with us. It's good to be with you, Craig. And would you please call me Nancy? Nancy, I'll be happy to do so. I I was struck by the fact that there are so many aspects of Covenant that, as I suggested in my opening remarks, really hit on all eight cylinders, as we often say. Uh, There's focus on local ministry. You guys are involved in in food bank work. You do volunteer work at the local rescue mission. But then globally, you're supporting missions work in places like Honduras. Honduras and Mexico. And then your background alone, and not only being kind of a specialist, if we can call it that, in small group ministry, and also a background um, at uh, InterVarsity Christian Fellowship, which to many of our listeners is a ministry that maybe they even came to Christ through. It's just, I, I think it's refreshing to see that there's really a sense at Covenant of wanting to, to reach as many people in as many ways, in as many places is kind of harnessing that sense of Judea, Samaria, and the uttermost parts of the earth. I would say that that really is our goal. Now, coupled with that, we are a small church. We have 120 members. We have 70 to 90 members uh, in church on Sundays. Uh, And so one of the things that we've been working on is... Uh, figuring out what slice of ministry God has for our church, our particular church, Covenant Community Church in Vacaville, because we're not the large church that can do many things well. We have tried to be very strategic in terms of saying which ministry partners can we connect with globally, which is a good fit. And by God's grace, there is a, a one of our elders has a a son and daughter-in-law and three grandchildren who are at work as missionaries in Honduras. And so that is a natural fit for us. The various uh, natural fits in terms of local missions are things that God has called us to. And we're, we're trying to, to focus as well as being all things for all people. I think- what we can do well is we are family that's that's the sweetness of the size of the church is we are deeply family together. 
I think the notion of, of looking at strategic partners and understanding that it really becomes more of a glimpse of the function of the body of Christ. That, you know, if we had four hands and no feet, that may not be as useful as if we had just the opposite four feet and no hands. But understanding that there can be strategic partnerships that can, in a sense, elevate the impact of the ministry of a church, both globally and interna- and locally, I think is is phenomenal. And, and, and to your point regarding not being a so-called mega church, um, I, I've always felt that that tends to be a bit overrated. I think it's almost in some respects a, a Western ideal. I mean, we, we count our success on how many widgets did the business sell how many people showed up at the baseball game it all tends to be measured on numbers and yet when you look at the success of the church in the first century it it was really based not on quantity but rather on quality i mean when you consider the fact that 12 people carry this message that resonates here two millennia later says to me that it, it is not necessarily a numbers game. Now, do we want to reach the entire world for Christ? Absolutely. Does Scripture remind us that, that none should perish? Absolutely. And yet I think sometimes some churches focus so much and got to get them in the seats, got to get them in the seats, that we become a church that is a mile wide and just an inch deep in terms of maturity. You think that's true? I, I definitely think that's true. Uh, I think we pick up a lot of our that uh, way of measuring success from our culture around us. Uh, and when you go back to the biblical uh, evidence, uh, it's it's totally different. Uh, we're working through First Thessalonians together in a uh, sermon series currently. And the way that Paul, Silas, and Timothy describe their ministry there is family. They, they say, we were little children with you. We were like your moms, we were like your dads, we were like your brothers and sisters. Well, you can't do that in a huge church. You can in pockets and small groups. That's the the great value of small groups. But there's something amazingly sweet about going deep with people for years and years and years. By the way, I think another thing that we tend to pick up from our culture is we think uh, leaders should be lone rangers. Uh, so, so we always talk about Paul's letter to the Thessalonians, but it is very clearly a letter written by a ministry team to a church they love, Paul, Silas, and Timothy. That's a valid point, and I, I want to kind of break down those two issues separately. Let, let's start first with this notion of the small group, and I know that's also an arena of your expertise. Prior to coming to Covenant Community Church, you, in fact, um, were the associate pastor of small group ministries, so you have a lot of rich depth in this field. And it's always struck me. And again, I, I want to be clear for people listening and saying, wait a minute, I go to a large church. Are you saying, Craig, there's something wrong with that? No, absolutely not. What I am suggesting, however, is sometimes in that large setting, it's easy to hide. And by that, I mean, you can show up to church. You're there with 9,999 other people. There may be issues going on in your life that you really need support and encouragement and prayer for, accountability for, that you miss out on when you're a stranger essentially coming in, slipping in through the back door and back out again. That notion of iron sharpening iron, I think sometimes gets lost. And I think that that level of 
interaction that we can have, that sense of bearing one another's burdens that can really only come from a small group setting that is more intimate, more personal. And listen, Jesus could have opted and said, you know, I'm going to have 10,000 disciples following me during his ministry on earth. And I would find that would probably be pretty unwieldy and very difficult for him to be intimate with that many people and really kind of get down in the bushes, so to speak. So I think there's a lot to be said for small groups, whether we're talking about breakouts within a large church or within a small local church. And even 120 people is too big to get to know people intimately. And so we definitely have small groups of covenant. Yeah, God calls us into family. He he creates families for us, our, our biological families, and then he redeems and adopts us into his own family. And yes, it's the broad family of the church universal, but it's also the the opportunity to do family well with other believers, and those are in smaller settings. And doesn't that, Pastor, also come back to that core issue of relationship? I mean, I mean, after all, when you when you look at the the core message of salvation and Christ's work on the cross, yes, it's about forgiveness, it's about reconciliation, but it's about reconciliation unto relationship because God so longs and hungers to have relationship with his creation. And of course, our sin nature gets in the way of that, which is why Christ becomes that bridge between mankind and God. And I and I think to myself that, you know, if we're really going to encourage each other, we need to have those kinds of relationships. And I think maybe perhaps, and maybe you can comment to this, Nancy, that there's a sense sometimes that people can be in the middle of, of, of connectedness to a large church, people at work, and yet they go home with a deep sense of loneliness because there's not that deep relational connection that God so longs to not only have us have with him, but also within the body of Christ. One of the places you see that in particular is uh, among pastors themselves. Mm. It's hard for pastors to step down from pedestals and to, to choose to be vulnerable with the people in their church. And I definitely believe we need to have boundaries around that. But if we are separating ourselves from the, the people in our congregations, we are creating all sorts of problems for ourselves because we were born to be in relationship. We're visiting today with Pastor Nancy Duff, Senior Pastor of Covenant Community Church of Vacaville. We'll take a brief time out, come back to more of our conversation in just a moment. And now back to Lifeline with Craig Roberts. Welcome back today, visiting with Pastor Nancy Duff, Senior Pastor at Covenant Community Church of Vacaville. Pastor Duff, let's return to our discussion. I wonder if that knife cuts both ways, and and this goes to your observation regarding the so-called Lone Ranger, that sometimes we think, well, you know... Listen, I haven't gone to seminary. I don't have a theological degree. My goodness, Pastor Duff is a graduate of Fuller Theological Seminary with a Master in Divinity. I don't have that. I can't really speak to people that effectively. But 
pastor is an expert, and so the professionals will handle such matters. And I wonder if sometimes we kind of hide behind that as an excuse, failing to recognize that when we talk about the, these matters of, of reaching and teaching and both being disciples and making disciples, that's not just the job of the so-called professional. That's something that really is is for all of us to be involved with, and that most effective ministry is not just one kingpin at the top, but rather all of us functioning together as independent parts of the body, as we alluded to a moment ago. Absolutely. And, and Ephesians 4 talks about how pastors are called, along with uh, teachers and evangelists, to to equip the saints for ministry, but not to do the ministry. We can't possibly do the ministry. And, and pastors need ministry done unto them as well, because I, th- I think God has arranged spiritual gifts in the body. Well, clearly, Scripture says he does that as he chooses. I think it is a deliberate strategy that he doesn't give any one person all of the spiritual gifts. And so everybody is interdependent by design by God so that together we need each other to build one another up to maturity. So that has become a matter of some people kind of hiding behind the notion that I'm not qualified and therefore I won't engage. I mean, it, it seems to be kind of the, the the almost the ultimate definition in a sense of so-called spectator Christianity, mm-hmm. meaning we love the Lord. We go to church on Sunday. Maybe we pay our tithes regularly. We feel as if we're we're checking all of the boxes as to what we think it means to be a participatory Christian. And yet God is asking for us to be immersive. We're supposed to be all in. And I wonder if sometimes maybe we kind of hide behind that, maybe because we're either not fully engaged or, or maybe our relationship is something that fits compartmentalized. This is, you know, Monday through Friday, we go to work. Saturday, we mow the lawn, take the kids to, you know, soccer practice. Sunday, we go to church for a couple of hours. And so it's almost as if it is a division of our life, our, our faith, as opposed to the overarching motivator behind all that we think and do, not just on Sundays, but Monday through Sunday. I would agree with that. I think that also is something we've picked up from our culture, the busyness. Mm-hmm. Uh, the, I, I think our autonomous individualization uh, that is so prevalent in our culture teaches us to compartmentalize our lives in ways that many cultures may not. There's my little bit of time in Uganda. There's far less hurriedness, far more stopping and dropping everything for relationships. And I think we Western Christians have a lot to learn from our brothers and sisters in other countries. Yeah, I think that's true. And I think sometimes we will often justify our busyness by saying, well, I'm working 80 hours a week because, you know, I'm trying to keep a roof over the kid's head, food on the table, pay for college, things of this sort, uh, not recognizing that it almost becomes a, a, a pretext or an excuse uh, to justify in our own minds our busyness. And then before you know it, and ask any parent this, you know, one day they're two months old, you turn around and now they're 25. And so I think we tend to miss out on a lot in the richness, not only of the kind of relationships that God wants us to have within our own family, 
but that lack of connectivity with so many others, and maybe perhaps, well, I'm going to really step this out even broader now, maybe perhaps that's also in part goes to the heart of try, of understanding better what's going on with our culture and society today. When there, there's, there's false intimacy because we hide behind the cell phone, text messaging, technology, things of that sort. Uh, clearly, America has a, a growing and ongoing problem with illegal drugs. I mean, you know, not, not to make excuses for the cartels, but you see what's going on as well. They're 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 finding a need and they're fulfilling it. What's going on within the heart of so many Americans today that they feel as if they need to anesthetize themselves? And I'm going to suggest it is a lack of relationship with God, a, a, an attempt to try to somehow fill that space with everything the world has to offer, and then to perhaps a lack of intimacy in relationships. And and when you combine those two things together. I think it makes for a very shallow, disappointing, painful life. I would agree with you on those things. I don't see that as unique to our generation or unique to our culture. I think you can see similar things in uh, uh, ancient Israel. Uh, There were Canaanites and Baal worship uh, in the midst of the land. Uh, There were all sorts of uh, moral, horrific things going on, uh, both then and in the Roman Empire. Mm -hmm. Uh, Lots of anesthetizing uh, in both of those cultures. Uh, And so so I, I, you know, I'm Presbyterian. I, uh, I believe in total depravity, which doesn't mean that everything is depraved. Completely, It means that everything is tainted by sin. And so I think we see that throughout cultures in history. Maybe what we've got today is some of the wallpaper being stripped off the wall so we can actually see what the foundation is uh, that has been there. It's a foundation of sin. Uh, and that's what the gospel is all about. That separation, and the only thing that can reunite us is the work of Christ on the cross, uh, which comes back again to, to the core of our discussion today in terms of what it means to not only be a disciple, but to make disciples. And uh, I'd like to spend a couple of moments talking about that. I, I mentioned earlier uh, your work as a, uh, a campus staff member with InterVarsity Christian Fellowship. And boy, talk about a golden opportunity uh, to catch young people that are at that growing stage. They're, they're maturing into adults. They're, they're sort of planting the foundation of not only who they are as individuals, but also their belief system, their education, things of that sort. Tell me a bit about your experience experience with InterVarsity, and why was that important? Oh, my goodness, you hit my sweet spot. I was a student with InterVarsity, and in InterVarsity, I learned um, down at UC San Diego and then at Cal State Northridge, and then I was on staff with InterVarsity uh, in the San Fernando Valley for six years, Um, both as a student and then as a staff worker. uh, Our goal was to reach our college campus for Jesus, and that meant Uh, I had to teach students. I learned as a student that I had to help students view their college campus as a mission field, figure out what it was that God was calling them to do at that particular time, that particular uh, era, that that location, uh, and then to do it. And uh, they were motley crews of students at a Cal State uh, 
highly mixed uh, ethnically, uh, highly mixed with uh, in, in terms of interests, uh, background. And what we were able to do is I was able to help teams of Christians look at their college campus, figure it out, figure out what God wanted them to do, uh, take steps in sharing their faith, take steps in leading Bible discussions when they had had no experience in doing that, but take baby steps at that. What, what's fun is the group I was with at Cal State Northridge is about the size of Covenant Community Church. And so it's here what I'm doing is uh, helping the elders take a look at their community, take a look at the needs in our neighborhood and figure out what it is that we can do in Jesus' name. We're visiting today with Pastor Nancy Duff, Senior Pastor of Covenant Community Church of Vacaville. We'll take a brief time out, come back to more of our conversation in just a moment. And now back to Lifeline with Craig Roberts. Welcome back today, visiting with Pastor Nancy Duff, Senior Pastor at Covenant Community Church of Vacaville. Pastor Duff, let me ask you this. Is part of this also helping young people kind of find their calling? I mean, I talked earlier about the notion of them finding who they are in Christ and and so forth. But, you know, that's one thing we all so often hear. I know I I get calls every once in a while and people say, well, Craig, I I know you know what God wants you to do. I'm still trying to figure that out. And, And the notion of trying to understand where exactly in God's economy we are supposed to be, the skills that he has given us, and now how to put those skills to work for the glory of the kingdom. Is that a big component of what InterVarsity was doing? Yes. And you know, one of the places that I saw students starting to recognize callings is through small groups. Mm. Because often, you don't even realize what it is that God has gifted you with. Because for you, it's it's the water you breathe. It's other people speaking into your life saying, I can't believe how what you said there made an impact in my life. Or... I never would have been able to share the gospel the way that you shared the gospel with that that person that she sat down with. Uh, it's it's getting that feedback and then having the places where you can take baby steps of trying out things. Uh, and InterVarsity was a great opportunity for that. The, the other thing that I think is very difficult is for people in their teens and 20s to really know what it is that God is calling you to. I remember... Well, I, I didn't uh, go to seminary until my 40s. Uh, and at that point, I had had enough confirmation of gifts and skills from enough different places that I was willing to take those steps. But I, I don't know how realistic it is for most people to sense calling ministry in their early 20s. There's certainly some risk taking there, uh, to be sure, because as you say, there there is not that history, and yet I think having that kind of foundation early on is so critically important, not only to one's uh, own spiritual growth and development and maturity, but also eventually toward fulfilling whatever it is that God is has gifted them to. And, and I want to be clear that this doesn't mean that everybody is going to be called to pastoring a church or being an evangelist or being in full time Christian missions of some sort. You can be 
post office worker, you can be a truck driver, you can be a real estate agent, and be engaged in evangelism in the marketplace and be as equally impactful and effective. And so I think it's important for people to understand that. And I, and I think the importance, too, you, you, you hearken back to small groups. I was involved back back in the Stone Age with the Fellowship of Christian Athletes and um, served as president of the, at the time of the largest huddle in the state of California. We had no less than four meetings a week talking about being busy. But for me, the most important meeting, aside from a public Bible study and an outreach huddle, was our weekly leadership prayer meeting. And there was only about six of us that were involved in leadership. But I think I had more growth opportunities in that experience than even in the large group setting. And I think there's a lot to be said about that. And I think the other thing, too, is helping young people understand that in a day and an age when they're not only trying to figure themselves out, but are being offered so many options, many of which, as we know, are not always healthy ones, um, to, to, to have that kind of presence on a campus uh, that can speak truth to people that are hopefully there every day with the goal of wanting to learn more about truth. I, I think is critically important. And the earlier that we can establish that firm foundation in a person's life, I think greater the likelihood is that they're going to go on to love and serve the Lord for the entirety of their life. Not to say that there's something wrong with reaching some old guy like me for Jesus. We absolutely should be about that. But reaching young people and really helping to establish their own relationship with God. Remember, God doesn't have any stepkids, right? It's all direct relationship. And so I, speak to, to that, if you would, in terms of just the importance of parents to train up a child. Well, and I would, I would go further than that. I think it's not just parents. I think it's the, the responsibility of the entire body of Christ to be training up young people. One of the things that I learned in InterVarsity was that discipleship is more often caught than taught. And so it's not just concepts. It's not just con uh, body of knowledge. It's having the opportunity to rub shoulders with someone who is acting like Jesus uh, in the way that they treat their friends, in the way that they do their taxes, in the way they study, in the way that they... Uh, interact with the neighbors. You can have the cerebral concept of that, and you can have all sorts of explanations, but it's what, what happened in my life was it rubbed off on me. I didn't even recognize where some of the patterns from my family's, my parents' marriage uh, were not healthy until I saw other marriages that were healthier. So going to uh, uh, training up young people, training up children, my leadership team of the church, the, the board, or what we call the session, uh, recently went through the book uh, Growing Young by Kara Powell, uh, Fuller Youth Institute. And it talks about research from various congregations across the nation that, that are actually helping young people, the next generations, thrive in faith and stick in their faith. And one of, a couple of the things that they... Uh, really emphasized. One one was that fancy programs are not necessarily going to help students stick. The best teacher is not going to necessarily help students stick or stay in their faith. Those are good things. Those are not going to detract, but 
But what really is the the key thing is you uh, the children and young adults having at least five Christian adults in their lives who are taking interest in their life. So not just a youth director, but but the guy behind the soundboard in the worship center who says hello to them every week. The the person who has watched them grow up from a little kid. Uh, people who are incorporating them or greeting them and taking them out for coffee and enlisting them uh, in the various ministries of the church. So one of the things that we're doing at Covenant that just is a, a kick is we are being, we're, we're really leaning into being intergenerational. So instead of having the youth have a youth Sunday, no, we're, we have high school students playing in our worship band every week, running our sound uh, slides every week. Uh, obviously, we have uh, students who are involved in a number of other ministries like children's ministry. But, but we're going beyond that. We now have students on our Buildings and Grounds Committee, and they are embracing that, embracing being part of the decision-making of the church. We, we have changed our, our, our events from being women's events that, you know, someday, sometime, you graduate up into as a young adult to, to being intergenerational things. So going down to preteens. So preteens through hundreds, a hundred years old in these fun women events. And the generations are overlapping and mixing and, and doing service projects together and building relationships. That's what we see in the early church. And that's, you know, there's huge value in uh, age-based ministries, but sometimes we, we, lose, we lose the ability to really build disciples because the adults pass that on to, you know, the specialist. We're all called to that. I think sometimes we, we fail to acknowledge that all, we, we set up divisions amongst ourselves down here on earth that will not exist in heaven. <laughs> so if this is about training for the here and after, we need to maybe reorder our thinking. But as you were sharing, Nancy, the thought that came to mind, the word that came to mind is mentoring. And I think oftentimes it kind of gets dismissed, thrown away. And yet look at how many people that we have within our churches today that have spent a lifetime, they have been professional people, they have raised families, they have gathered a lot of wisdom and knowledge, and then they reach retirement age, and they go out and knock a golf ball around for a while and sit at home and, you know, contemplate uh, what's going to be for dinner, and oftentimes feel underused or even useless when, in fact, talk about such a, a rich fountain of knowledge and the opportunity opportunity to be able to pair older people with younger people. I've always wondered, and then this is not a shot in any church that does it, but I've always wondered when it becomes the time in the surface long around, you know, 1120 or 1130, okay, we're going to dismiss the kids and we're going to run two different services. Now, are there things that need to be taught from the pulpit that are unique to educating younger people? Absolutely. But I think sometimes we emphasize so much the individual groups 
that we fail to recognize the value in coming together, and particularly to your point, of the value of what can be learned and passed along intergenerationally. I mean, I, I'm, I'm proud to tell you that one of the greatest influences on my life to this very day, sorry, Dad and Mom, don't mean to skip you over, but there was such a tremendous influence of my grandmother on my life. And I can see it in myself today in a certain way that I do things and things that I care about because of her influence. And I think, you know, because of the fluidity of our culture today and people travel to other parts of the country for job opportunities. And so grandma and grandpa are just, you know, a postcard at birthday time. Maybe you get a chance to see them once a year. I think we not only miss out there, but we miss out when we when we tend to stack up these divisions within the church, thinking that we're being specialists in something. When, in fact, I think in the effort to be a specialist, we're missing out on, again, as we talked about earlier. Earlier, that iron sharpening iron experience. I love that your example of your mentor was your grandmother, uh, because uh, one of the things I've come to believe about mentoring is it's incredibly significant. It happens. It, in my experience, rarely happens well as a program. If we try to recruit adults, uh, retired adults, into will you be a mentor, a few will sign up for a program. Mm -hmm. uh, and then they'll be paired with somebody that they may or may not know, uh, a teen, and that may or may not work, uh, and it can feel really awkward. Uh, if instead we can build relationships, individual, uh, intergenerational relationships in more natural settings so that actual friendships get built, that then start getting fostered outside of church events. So you really have to cultivate that as part of the sort of the, the life of the church so that yes. it's not something that's forced. It happens organically, yes. but it's yes. something that is openly encouraged yes. and, and, and cultivated. Yes. Yeah. And that's, that's what my experience was when I was growing up. It was a, a couple in my church that just kind of took me under their wing. The, the gal was the dental, my dental hygienist as well. And so every time I went to get my teeth cleaned, she would ask me about my life and about spiritual things with my mouth wide open. And that shaped me. I knew she cared about my life. I want our students to, to have that experience as well. I think there's nothing grander than to, to reach, you know, your, your, your later years and be able to, to look at the imprint of individuals on your life the encouragement that they offered, the correction sometimes that they offered, uh, the skills that they offered, the wisdom that they passed down, that then hopefully you can pass down and leave the same kind of impression on the lives of others that you in turn reach. We're visiting today with Pastor Nancy Duff, Senior Pastor of Covenant Community Church of Vacaville. We'll take a brief time out, come back to more of our conversation in just a moment. And now back to Lifeline with Craig Roberts. Welcome back today, visiting with Pastor Nancy Duff, Senior Pastor at Covenant Community Church of Vacaville. Let's talk a bit about the ministry of Covenant Community Church. My goodness, Nancy, broad and deep and wide, as we suggested earlier. Uh, and, and I just, I love the sense of emphasis on real community and coming together and encouraging one another on, on a horizontal relationship level, in addition, of course, to predominantly uh, the, the vertical level. But take a moment, if you would, somebody new to the Bay Area saying, you know what, 
Boy, I really like what I hear Pastor Nancy share from her heart. I'd like to come up and see what God's doing at Covenant Community Church. Tell us a bit about that. You would be so warmly welcomed. We would be celebrating that you are with us. Our worship service, during, if you watch the, the everybody who checks out churches looks at the worship service online in advance. One of the things that's unique to us is we actually spend a lot of time during the Greek greeting time in the middle of the service. It's it's not a turn to one person to do a perfunctory handshake. It's people walking around the the sanctuary and and interacting with one another. And again, one of the things that I see is retired people reaching out to uh, elementary school kids that they have cared for during VBS and checking in on them, kind of continuing to build those relationships. Our goal is to to help you be connected in ways that feel safe and in ways that will uh, help you grow in your faith. And and the other thing that we're very clear about is if God brings you to us, you are a gift to us. You are going to help us grow spiritually. And we we cherish that. We value that. We just had a uh, a newcomer's party on Sunday. Uh to help newly arrived people in the church to uh, uh, learn more about our values, learn more about uh, our focuses. We also spent a lot of time just helping us get to know each other, the newcomers with some of the leaders of the church. Uh, There was a lot of laughter. There was a lot of honesty and authenticity, even in that meeting. And so this is a place where if you come, you will be... You will become family, and we will cherish you. We are absolutely committed to the the Word of God. Uh, We are absolutely convinced that God has planted us in this area for His purposes, and we are very thoughtful at what we do. We know we can't do everything. We're we're not that big. Uh, But what we do, we do with, with enthusiasm. This is not a church that is staff-led. This is a church that really is the body of Christ that pitches in to to love our community, to uh, love one another, to care for one another when there are tough times. I, I think the, the big question is, why is it that more people have not yet found us? What is it that God is calling us to do to get our name out in the community? Uh, one of the things I think he's doing is I think he's getting us ready because uh, about a block away, we have about 500 new houses being built. And so there's a, an excitement of uh, opportunity. It's also a, a winsome spirit in the church. Uh, there's not insiders and outsiders. There's not people who look down on other people. There is a humility and a winsomeness an authenticity that I have not seen in very many churches. Some churches have a church name that seldom really represents or explains who they are. But in hearing you share today from your heart, your passion for ministry, what God is doing at Covenant, I'm struck by a sense that you seem to be, as a, as a, as a church, working very hard to be true to the entirety of your name, meaning that walking in Covenant, First and foremost, with God, then with each other, 
having a gathering that has a real sense of community or, or connectedness, that you're just not a number or a donor, but you're, you're somebody that's part of a family. And then that community sense working together to understand what it means to not just do church, but to be the church and experience what the church is, not as a building per se or as a organization, but rather as an organism that is part of the function of who Christ calls his bride. I'm just thrilled by that. I want to mention to listeners, by the way, if you are new to the Vacaville area, looking for a new church home, um, perhaps there's been some changes in your family and um, you're looking for a new church home. We want to encourage you to uh, check out Covenant Community Church of Vacaville. They meet at 3870 Alamo Drive in Vacaville, and you can get all kinds of great information. You can experience some of Pastor Nancy's sermons, as well as check out many of the offerings available for uh, everyone from ages zero to 100 and beyond at Covenant Community Church by checking out their website at CCC, think Covenant Community Church, VV, that's CCC. VV, think Vacaville, VV, right? CCCVV.org. Or you can call the church directly at area code 707 448 5234. Well, Pastor Nancy Duff, it's been a delight to get a chance to visit with you, have you share a little bit of not only your background, your passion, your heartbeat for ministry, but also to uh, kind of pull back the curtain, so to speak, on what God is doing with the great body of believers there at Covenant Community Church. So thanks for spending some time with us today. It's been a privilege, Craig. Thank you. that's going to do it for this edition of Lifeline. Thanks so much for being with us. And if there was anything you heard on today's show that you'd like to hear again or share with a friend, grab a copy of the Lifeline podcast. Simply log on to KFAX.com. That's KFAX.com for the Lifeline podcast. Our producer is Wanda Sanchez. I'm Craig Roberts. Till next time around, remember, just don't keep the faith. Get out there and share it and make it a great evening. So long. Opinions expressed in the preceding program do not necessarily represent the views of the ownership, staff, or management of KFAX. Copyright Salem Communications, all rights reserved. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never before seen personal records to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com, salemnow.com.